This morning we're wrapping up a a series. I hope you don't feel like it was a long series. It's a series of sermons on the uh, what it means to live like Jesus. If you look behind me, there it is, thanks uh, to another pair of volunteers, the Coxes, um, on our on our board back there, this live like Jesus theme has been on the wall for a while now. We've talked about several things. We talked about walking like Enoch. Pastor Tim introduced us to the concept of the paths that other people have set, set forward, this, the footsteps that we follow in. When he introduced us to walking like Enoch, we talked about worshiping like Abel. And we've talked about several things. Today we're talking about winning like Paul. Winning like Paul. Now, when you think of the Apostle Paul, do you think winning? Do you think that guy's a winner? There's a winner. Kind of a blind guy. Um, Fell off his horse. That's how he got introduced to Jesus. Started his career as a church persecutor. Was present, in fact, was was voting in favor of the persecution and stoning of Stephen. Do you think winner when you think of Paul? Most people think theologian when they think of Paul. Most people think evangelist when they think of Paul. But do you think winner? Or would you pick someone else? Win like Solomon. Now there's a winner. Super stud. What a guy. You know, he's the most handsome man in the whole world. People come around the, from around the world just to hear him talk. He's got so much money spread around that they said that when he was king of Israel, silver was like stones. It was just commonplace. It was just everywhere. He was a real winner by all modern definitions, right? He comes out on top. He becomes king. He becomes the king's favorite son amidst all of them. He makes these amazing decisions. We look back. We say things like, man, you have the wisdom of Solomon. We still think of this guy as such a stud. Win like Paul. Win like Paul. How do you do? Win like Paul. Theologian. Traveler. Regular receptacle of various kinds of abuse. Beaten, stoned, chased out of town multiple times, thrown in jail multiple times. When like this guy. His own people, people he's called to God, people whom he has, he has left the gift of their salvation, left an introduction to Jesus Christ with, those very people start writing bad things about him to other people. When like Paul. If there's anybody in scripture that suffered more abuse, I can't think of him right now. Maybe Jeremiah. Win like Jeremiah, win like Paul. I want to talk a little bit about the way this man won. I think it's particularly applicable because very few people actually win. Now you win at something. I'm not a big fan of everybody uh, getting trophies. I think it kind of ruins the purpose of the game if everybody wins. Now that probably says more about me than trophies. 
But it just, uh, I, I think it's a, you know, I just think, man, what's the point of playing if you don't keep score? What's the point of trophies if everybody gets one? I don't know. If you're saying amen, you're probably a certain age. Because you lived in those eras when one trophy was handed out. I want to talk about this guy who got a very unusual sort of trophy. We're going to be looking in 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, you want to open there. If you have your device with you, I'll look for the glow on your face. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're really looking at this man who's writing sort of his own epilogue. He's, he's writing the final speech. He's writing what we could have put on his tombstone. In fact, if we find Paul's tombstone, this might be what's on it. He's writing his last thoughts. He's come to the end of the road. And looking at that final step, he starts to reflect. He's, he's writing this, this to a friend of his, a young man who he's passed the torch of ministry to, a young man who he, he's probably baptized and who he's certainly called into ministry, who he's trained and led around the, the, the Roman Empire. A young man who has followed in his footsteps for most of his life. And now as Paul is arriving at the end of his life, he thinks to stop and write a letter, write some thoughts to this young man. And as he does in this particular section, he starts to wax about last thoughts. When like Paul. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I want to, I want to focus on this little bit being poured out. Here's the Greek, just so you can impress your friends. We're going to give you a couple of Greek words today, so you can write these down, talk to your friends about them. You know what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 6. It says, there it is, spindestai. Just so they know. Being poured out. At the end of a lot of Roman and Greek meals, if it was a particular celebration, at the end of the meal, the sort of the way you would cap this meal off, the way you would kind of say, fine meal, wonderful meal, great company, wonderful time, you would take that last bit of wine, you would pour it into your cup, and you would just pour it out. It was an offering of this meal. It was saying, this was a great meal. At least you didn't throw the glass into the fireplace. Who started that idea? Probably somebody who made glass. They were pour, they'd pour out that, that last bit just as a way of saying this was wonderful. This was awesome. It was like an offering saying this was great. There's a great tradition in Judaism about pouring a drink offering out, pouring out that offering that just says to God, this was great. It was, this was wonderful. It's, a, it's truly an offering of thanks. It's truly an expression of gratitude. This was amazing. And Paul is saying of his life, I'm being poured out like an offering. I'm being poured out as a final expression. My life is waxing away and I am about to be poured out. Poured down the drain for the last time. The meal is over. Poured out of the glass for the last time. I'm done. I'm being poured out. But he follows this with the word about departing. I'm being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. This is a really interesting word. Here's a guy who's departed from a lot of places. Think about all the traveling he's done. 
He's always leaving somewhere, headed for somewhere else. This word that he's using here, this particular word, is a word about being released. This is the word used when you untie the ox from the plow. When Paul is be- talking about being departed, he's talking about departing the plow. being Leaving the plow behind. This is the word used for untying a ship from its moorings on the shore. Letting it go and go off to sea. Paul is talking in this word about departure. He said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, but don't be worried about me. I'm just on my way. Paul is talking not about death as something he's afraid of. He's talking about death as something he welcomes because death allows him to understand or death predicts in his future that the next thing he will see is Jesus. Paul is departing his earthly life. Think about the man's life. Lots of difficulty in his life. Lots of problems, lots of struggles, lots of excitement, lots of wonder. But it's about over. He's about to be poured out. And as he's about to be poured out, he's not fearful. He's not concerned about being poured out. He's, he's kind of looking forward to it. They're untying me. They're releasing me from my chains. I won't be thrown in prison again. I, I can't be beaten again. Once they kill me, that's all they can do to me. Once you're dead, you're dead. They beat you after you're dead. Doesn't matter. They run you out of town after you're dead. That's fine. Doesn't matter to you because you're sleeping and resting in Jesus. And the next thing you see is his face. Paul really is looking at this last step after all he has faced. He's faced death multiple times. He's been threatened with death, death even more times. And now that it's actually here, that moment has actually come when they're about to pour his, his last bit of himself out. Paul says... I'm good. They're just untying my ship from its moorings. They're just releasing me from the plow. I'm not afraid of what's next. Because the next thing I see is Jesus. This is that presence and understanding of what it means to follow Christ. This is that recognition that it's different for a believer. This is that recognition that this is not the last for us. When we take our last breath, we're just waiting for our next one. When we take the last breath on earth, we're just waiting for the glorious inculcation of Jesus' spirit in transformative power in our body. The next thing we know is resurrection. The next thing we see is the face of Jesus. There's nothing scary about closing your your eyes for the last time here, if that's what's waiting for you. And Paul uses this fantastic word about being untied. I'm being poured out and I'm being untied. I'm departing. I'm leaving on a jet plane, baby. I'm out. That's what Jesus, that's what Paul is saying. I'm done. I'm good with it too. Then he starts this litany of phrases that we've all heard. It's this great, just, just Three-piece pack of phrases. It's just bam, bam, bam. He says, I have fought the good fight. I've done my job. I have fought the good fight. He, the, the things he's using here are all rotating around the concept of the, of the sporting events that were common in Greek and Roman times. And he says, I have fought the good 
fight. There was this, there was this comment that, that these people who had fought in the arena, not those who were fighting to the death. In fact, in this, if you read carefully what's going on, Paul has faced trial and he's escaped the lions once. He just doesn't expect to let that happen again. He knows Nero is after his hide and he knows you're not escaping Nero. So he says, I have fought the good fight. So he's stepping up like the guy who has been in battle in the arena. And they stand to the front. And two men have gone to battle. One is won, one is lost. Not again, a fight to the death. But the loser can say, I have still fought a good fight. I gave everything I had. I tried my best. I did what I could. I fought a good fight. And there was this pride in the, in the arena. And those who would co- have this contest, who, the one even who would lose, would stand next to the one who had, had defeated him. And he would say, congratulations. You have fought a good fight. And I have fought a good fight. I've given you everything I, gave, I had to give. And you won. Congratulations. It's a hollow victory if your opponent has given nothing to it. It's a hollow victory if your opponent didn't try. But if your opponent gave his best and he looks you in the eye and says, Congratulations, I gave everything I had. Paul says, I'm about to be poured out. They're about to release me, but I want you all to understand. Timothy, let these words be written down. Let everybody know. I gave it everything I had. I left nothing on the table. I gave everything I had to this. I fought the good fight. When you and and I end our lives, and we have those last things to say to our family and our friends, wouldn't you like these words on your lip? Wouldn't you like to be able to say to your friends and to your family, look, guys, I gave it all I had. I gave everything I had. I fought the good fight. I used every brain cell I could muster up. I used all the strength that I have. I spoke every word that I knew to speak on behalf of God and behalf of you. I fought the good fight. And I can close my eyes, be poured out as a drink offering, released from the moorings of the dock, set free from the plow, because I've given it everything I had. I fought the good fight. And I finished the race. Notice he doesn't say I won the race. He just says I finished. He doesn't say I fought the good fight and I won. He just says I finished. I got all the way to the finish line. I did my best and I finished. I ran the last step across the line. I made it. Everybody thinks of the grand story of Marathon. That wonderful story, that amazing story, true story as best we can tell. The battle rages between the Persians and the Greeks on the plain of Marathon, hence the name. The messenger sent home to tell of the victory won that saved the Greco-Roman world at that time. The Greek world, really Greco-Roman world yet to come. Runs the 26.2 miles, that extra two tenths. Those of you who have run a marathon, do you ever curse those last two tenths? Two lousy tenths. 26 miles and you still aren't done. 
two tenths comes in, gives his message of victory, collapses and dies. <clears throat> this story has always amused me because the poor guy dies. But because a bunch of other people have said, let's do that. Doesn't make sense to me. But good on you. If you finished that race and lived, you did better than he did. I finished, Paul says. I've made it across the line. I've faced everything that came my way. And I persevered. I kept going. I kept going. I kept going. Sometimes I was crawling. But I kept going. Sometimes I was running and I kept going. Sometimes I was stumbling, but I kept going and I finished. I finished. I might have been the last one across the line, but I finished. I finished the race. And I have kept the faith. There were lots of opportunities for him to leave the faith. There were lots of opportunities for Paul to say the cost is too high. For Paul to say, I can't do this anymore. I don't want this anymore. The struggle's too much for me. It's too hard. It's too discouraging. I don't want to do it anymore. Why can't God protect me from all of these evil people? I know the Bible says He is all-powerful. I know that He can do anything. Why hasn't He stopped these horrible things from happening to me? I quit. I'm done. I don't trust Him any longer. I've had enough of this God thing because He clearly doesn't have my back. Look at the record. Look at all the stuff that's happened to me. I have been shipwrecked. He can't keep a boat together? I've nearly drowned in the, o- in the ocean twice. I've been bit by snakes. God has no control over snakes. I've been stoned multiple times. Stoned once in your life is enough. Stoned once in your life, usually people don't survive. I've been stoned and survived. It might be worse. I've been beaten. I've suffered illness. I've been imprisoned. Enough. I quit. Done. God can't be trusted. It's funny, isn't it? We live in a world where we have more ease, more comfort than most anybody else on the planet. We have certainly more stuff than most. We have more freedom than most. And yet people are walking away from God in our part of the world in massive numbers. It's crazy. It's almost like the harder it is, the more likely it is for people to stick 
crazy. You know, it's, uh, it's not intellectually cool to be a follower of Jesus. You know? You know what I mean? It's not intellectually cool at all. Shoot, even, even National Geographic will tell you you don't know what you're talking about. And they're happy to. How are you holding on? How's your grip feeling? Is your hand beginning to cramp? Does it feel like the rope's slipping? You starting to get blisters? Have you had enough people ask you, really, you believe in that? Has your kids' disdain for your faith bugged you yet? Has your personal loss started to eat away at your trust in God? So here's here's why we're talking about women like Paul. Because the guy redefines winning. He's not defining winning as the guy who got the trophy. He's defining winning as surviving with your faith intact. No matter what crud the world throws at you, surviving with your faith intact is a victory. Whether your health crumbles under you, your body gives out, you lose the things you treasure, you lose the people you love, surviving through all of that, with your faith still intact, that's winning. Surviving the challenges that the world throws at you. That says, hey, this old book you read, it's crazy, man. Why are you still believing in that stuff? How could you, how could you put your whole life, how could you define your future by a book whose, whose writings are in some cases 4,000 year old stories. How, how are you doing with that? When you say thousands and your friends say millions, and you just don't want to have an answer in a discussion again, is your faith intact? Are you holding on? Fought the good fight, but still fighting. Still running the race, though we haven't yet finished. Is your faith that when they untie you from the moorings of your last breath, the next thing you will see 
Is Jesus still intact? Because that's what it means to win. Win like this guy. Win like Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I still believe. I've been through a whole load of stuff. And I still believe. And now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He's still on the sports theme. He's still on the sports theme. The crown, that laurel crown that would go around the head of the winner. See, Paul is saying, if you finish with your faith, you win And you get the crown. That wreath that would be given to the victor. Paul says, if you finish faith intact, you win. And they put the crown on your head. There is a crown of righteousness laid up in store for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me On that day, when my eyes open up and my hopefully my head pops out of the grave first and I see Jesus, I win. When I know that I can take my last breath and the next thing I see is Jesus, I win. Poured out like a drink offering, unmoored from the dock. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. My faith is intact. And now, in fact, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. I love that he says it's a crown of righteousness because even now he knows that his righteousness is waiting on a statement from Jesus. It is not his to bring to Christ. It is Christ's to bring to him. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And then he thinks of us. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. A crown of righteousness laid up for those who are waiting for Jesus. He doesn't say a crown of righteousness laid up for those who get it all right. A crown of righteousness laid up for those who got the theology figured out. A crown of righteousness laid up for those who had the right chart of the end of time. A crown of righteousness for those who lived to see Jesus arrive personally. Nope. A crown of righteousness laid up for those who were waiting, longing for the appearing of Jesus. Who knew that this world was not their home. Who knew that the conflicts of this world were just a momentary thing. That when they closed their eyes on planet earth, it was not the end. But in fact, 
It was the rope being untied from the dock and the boat being pushed away and that they would be free, covered by his grace and his righteousness, longing for his appearing. That's winning. Win like Paul. Live like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, this is not our idea of winning. It's not our idea of success. It's not our idea of life well lived. By the definitions of our world, Paul lost. Thank you that we do not live by the definitions of this planet. That if we spend our last dollar serving Jesus, it's a sign of victory. That if we can walk away from all of our stuff with our faith intact, it's a testimony of victory. That if we can breathe our last breath in the assurance that there's a new breath coming, that is victory. And so, dear Lord, we pray that we would fight a good fight from here to that last breath. That we would finish the race well. That our faith would be intact in that last day.